I love the heart of this young man. I often think he's quite like Glenn. He's very passionate for God, but also very relational. And uh, we look forward to hearing what you've got to say today. It's all yours. And I look like Glenn too. So I'm not, I'm not actually the pastor of the church. I'm just, yeah, no, I'm just one of them. Anyway, I am super excited to be here today. Is anyone glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Yeah, amazing. Anyway, so my name's Eli. I often get mistaken for Ali. It's okay though. Um, it's okay. But anyway, if you didn't know me, I'm one of the three youth pastors here alongside my beautiful wife, Ella and Sasha, who was singing here today. And it is just an amazing, amazing team. But I, um, a little bit about me, I volunteer here as a youth pastor and I do a full-time position at Torpedo 7, um, which from time to time we get friends and family discounts. So I will be posting that in our Thrive Family page because my boss was like, actually, your church is your family, right? And I was like, you are darn right about that, Chris. So yeah, look out for those because you'll get some good deals. Anyway, I just want to pray before we get into the word this morning. Going to be a long prayer, uh, probably about 10 minutes. Jesus, we thank you. We put you as Lord in our life. We thank you that you are in control always. Speak this morning. Amen. Cool, let's get into it. Anyway, this morning I was, um, for a while I had this, like this burning, kind of like this fire inside of me about the topic of prayer, and I was like, God, what is this about? And, and he was like, no, you're going to preach it. And then and Glenn and Deborah were like, hey, can you preach on a Sunday? I was like, yeah, I can do that. And anyway, so I, I named this, this message the, um, the Better Prayer. And, and then this morning me and Ella were chatting, and she's like, you know that like Mitch, the old assistant pastor before he left, that's, that's the message that he, he delivered, like that was the, the exact title of his word, and I'm like, well, that's, that's awkward because all my content's from him as well, and um, anyway, um, no, thank you, thank you Pastor Mitch for the notes, no, just kidding, anyway, we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer this morning, and, and everyone knows it, right, like everyone knows the Lord's Prayer, it was drilled into us as kids, so Matthew six nineteen to 13, let's say it together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's me this morning, church. Um, now, anyway, how powerful is that, right? It is so powerful. But, but have you ever stopped to think about what you were saying? Like, I remember growing up in a Baptist church and Sunday school would have these competitions on who could say it the fastest, and then you'd get a little chalky bar and you'd get points on the chart. And, and, but, but it came this, like, competition, and, and the older I got, the more this powerful prayer became a ritual rather than more powerful. And... and that's not what it's about, right? Because something that was supposed to be filled with the power of God just became a competition on who could say it the fastest. And, and it's weird, right? Because because we just all said it at the same time. And, and if I was to say, hey, can you say Matthew 6, 9 to 13, everyone would just turn into robot mode and be like, and, and they'd say it just like we did this morning because it's been so drilled into us. Yet sometimes something that's so powerful becomes so diminished by by our, our religion to it. Now, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be religious in this because this is an amazing prayer, but sometimes things get so watered down because we don't put it in the right position in our lives. So this morning, I want to deconstruct the Lord's Prayer. Is that okay? 
We're going to spend some time talking about it, but before we pull the passage apart, we need to frame it properly. You see, Jesus wasn't telling the disciples to pray this exact prayer over and over and you'll make it to heaven, but, but he frames it and gives a template for the disciples to work off, for, for the people that he's preaching to. He's giving them framework on how he, they should communicate with their Father. So this is what he says just before the, Lord's, the classic Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 5 to 8 in the NIV version. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they will receive their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you reward you? That's a really hard word to say. Reward you? And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And isn't that such a key part of this passage? Like, why didn't we memorize that in Sunday school? Because it it frames the whole thing. So I want to repeat it. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they will receive their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. That hard word again. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they... Well, they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And we get so much out of just these few verses, the start of which is not praying for validation, the approval and the honor from other people. Human is full of fragility. It is full of brokenness. There is no denying it, but trying to fill the space inside you from other people is firstly going to be unsatisfying because it leads, it's a road to prayerful pride and honesty. If we're out in the street corners and we're like, man, look at me, like, look at my prayer, all these fancy words, it's a road to prayerful pride. Jesus then tells us that when we pray, we should pray in secret. So it's just between you and the Father. There is this organicness that comes from humanity spending time with their God alone. There's a completeness of sorts in those moments. See, 1 Corinthians 14.2 kind of reaffirms it. It says, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. We need to pray to God in our heavenly languages. We, we do this not, so when, when we pray, we're not seen by others, but to be seen by God, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, do not pray so that others can be like, yeah, this guy's on it. But he's saying, pray to me. Pray to your Father. Do not pray to be heard by others. Do not be like hypocrites that are babbling for the attention of man. Pray like it's just you and Jesus. Just keep in mind verses 14 to 15, which says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. So all of a sudden, we get four points, and we haven't even made it to the Lord's Prayer yet. One, if you're taking notes, you can note this down. Don't pray for publicity. Number two, pray by yourself. Number three, don't keep babbling on like pagans who wish to be heard. Four, pray in the spirit and mind. The last part of the small section of Matthew 5 that I shared, it intrigues me. Verse 7, to be precise. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. You see, because Jesus is genuinely talking, don't just keep talking. 
don't keep nagging the father. That's genuinely what he's saying. He's saying he already knows what you need. See, yeah, don't we say to every single person, just keep talking to Jesus. Talk to him whenever you want to. Talk, talk to him left, right, and center. And, and it's so true because we need to learn to connect with our father in prayer. But if you read this verse in the ESV version, it says it like this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. See, and we tell people it's okay just to talk to God whenever you want. Say how you're feeling. Talk to Jesus whenever you like. And it's so true because all of us need to learn to pray and connect with God. Yet Ecclesiastes 5 says this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they're doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools." Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. And all of a sudden, our perspective changes because so often we talk about there being space in the house of the Lord and that there's, a room, there's room at the table for us. And this is all so true. And I don't want to diminish that. And I'm not saying this is wrong at all. Yet so often we talk about God as the father, the lover of our soul, which is again true. He's the mother hen. And that is actually in the Bible. Yet we forget to mention that he's this mighty warrior that he holds seven stars in his right hand, that he seems to have fire as eyes, that he is the creator, that he crushed the serpent with his heel. He is champion, that he has defeated death. So we paint this incomplete picture of our God. And we get confused when God tells us to guard ourselves when he comes to us because we've painted the wrong picture of him. We've painted this, this loving father who he is, but so, far, so often we get so caught up in it that we, that we get confused when God says to watch what we say to him. Not to make empty promises, for he doesn't pleasure a fool that doesn't honor his word. I remember growing up, and I'd mess up, you know, we all mess up, and, and I'd probably just be taking a fiver out of mum's handbag, to be real. And um, anyway, I, I would, I'd know I messed up, because mum was like, oh boy, you messed up again. And, and I'd ask God to forgive me, and, and I'd repent, and, and then like, probably, let's be real, next week I was probably going to do the same thing again. And, and then I'd come back to God, and I'd say, God, I know that you don't like me disobeying my parents and dishonoring you, because it's a sin, but I never realized that me making this empty promise that, God, I'm never going to do this again just pleased his heart. I never knew that it was more than just, oh, I messed up, but actually me saying, God, I am never going to do this again is me being foolish. And he says in Ecclesiastes 5, he despises a fool. This is what he's saying. We are to be careful with what we say. Empty words displeases God. So we, we can change our third point. So we've got don't pray for publicity. Pray by yourself. Three can be rephrased like this. Don't make empty promises to God when you pray. Number four, pray in the spirit and mind. So with all of this in mind, we can actually start the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
This is the first thing that Jesus says to the church when he's telling them how to pray. And I don't even know what a hello is. <laughs> like, I don't even know what it is. Yet Jesus is telling us in this moment to honor the Father. He is saying to fear him, to respect him, to give him lordship over our lives, to consecrate him and to make him holy, to glorify him with our words, to remind ourselves who is in heaven and who was made from the dirt. So the first thing that God is telling us to do is glorify him when we pray. That is where we should start. It, it, it gives us perspective. The other thing that we get out of this simple verse is that he is our father. He isn't just my father. He is our father who art in heaven. So Jesus is shaking off the idea of praying for publicity and to pray in secret just to flip the tables on us and tell us that we also need to pray together as community. He's like, no, this isn't just your father in the secret place. This is our father as a community. So prayer life isn't complete with just praying alone. We need to glorify him by ourselves and with the church. We need corporate prayer. This is not complete without it. We need to honor our king together. The Bible says in Matthew 18, 20, that when two or more are gathered, that he is there in the midst. So why would we get so caught up in the secret place when we need to bring what God's telling us in the secret place into community, into corporate prayer? It's the whole point is coming together to, to worship God. So to, to, to recap, we have one, don't pray for publicity. I really want to really drill these into you this morning. Two, pray by yourself. Three, don't make empty promises to God when you pray. Four, pray in the spirit and the mind. Five, good, give God lordship first when you pray. Six, pray with others. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we are asking God to bring heaven on earth in this sentence. This is the entire concept of, of the glory of God from, from Jesus dying on the cross for us to, for, the, for the veil to be torn. This is the whole concept of God's glory being here, but not yet. It's, it's the idea of the Holy Spirit is residing in us, but his glory hasn't manifested in full. This is the whole idea of God's kingdom being here, but not yet. So, so this is us saying, God, we know that the world is imperfect. I know that I am imperfect. But we want you, your presence, your purity, would you have your way? So there's this, this laying down of our own ambition, our laying down of our dreams, of our wants, and, and we're asking God to do what he wants. So often I would hear people growing up referencing Bible verses saying that, you know, God will answer everything you ask him if you say it in faith. And, and it's true, but they forget to mention that our hearts and life should be conformed to the image of the Son. That, that as we grow in our faith, that our, our wants and, and our hearts should be more about what Jesus wants and not about what we want. So, so, so often I'd be like, God, I want, I want a Lamborghini when I grow up. God, I want a house with like six houses. But because I, I didn't know that I was supposed to be conformed to Jesus and my wants were supposed to be what he wanted. So we're meant to ask God for heaven to be on earth. So we've got, don't pray for publicity. Don't pray by, your, uh, pray by yourself. Don't make empty promises to God to pray in the spirit and the mind to give God lordship first when you pray, to pray with others. And seven is, see your eyes on the things of heaven. Verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. And, and this one seems crazy to me. If you know me well, you know that I like to plan ahead. That's just who I am. I like knowing that I have security. Like one of my biggest insecurities is not having enough security. And like me and Ella, we budget, we'll set goals, we'll make sure our future is set up. Yet God tells us to ask for just enough for today. 
And, and it blows my mind because my parents have always told me, son, you get a trade, you get something to fall back on. What if this church thing doesn't work? <laughs> um, but he's like, they're like, set yourself up. Yet God is telling us, just ask for today. Just ask me to provide for now. Because we see in the Bible, all of these people that leave their day jobs, they leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Because he's saying, hey, I will be your provider. We learn from generation to generation that he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And it's true if we were to trust him. And we're to say, okay, God, this is actually who you are. And I'm going to trust that this is who you say you are. Because Jesus cares to dress the lilies in beauty and splendor. He watches over every sparrow. So how much more would he love us, right? He tells us he loves his creation. Our God will not fail you. And when we realize that the responsibility isn't on us to provide, but it's on God to provide, it's crazy to see what you do for the name of Jesus. So number eight is ask for enough for the day. Forgive our sins as we forgive our sinners. This one's a scary one, right? Scary, oops. We asking God to forgive us as we forgive those that do us wrong. Like, are there any grudge holders in the house? Like, well, well, I'm really going for you this morning. See, because I can be. I can be a massive grudge holder at times. I'm way better than what I used to be as a kid, yet I know that if we're playing a game of Catan and I'm, I'm setting myself up to go this way and, and then other people are like, let's team up and I'm going to trade my wheat for your, and, and then they block me off, I, I will be in such a foul mood for the rest of the game. I'm like, this is not fair. I will flip the tables like Jesus and I, I will go for it and I will be hung up on the wrongdoers that made me lose the game because that was mine to win. Honestly, me and Ella are too competitive. That's why we didn't compete in tribal wars this year. <laughs> but how often do we actually make a decision to forgive those that do us wrong? See, Jesus tells us to forgive 77 times 7, and even then we haven't forgiven people that do us wrong enough. Because this is such a backwards concept in a world that's so caught up on cancel culture. On, on when someone does anything wrong, say, okay, no, there's no redemption for them. Or no, there's nothing, there's no coming back from that. Red flags, and, and, but then we'll come to church and we will pray the prayer of the Lord and say, forgive us as we forgive others. It's a backwards thing. See, the prayer of the Lord is completely upside down from what the world would tell us. And that's because God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It isn't about what the world is. So often we look at the Bible through the world's lens when we need to look at the world through the Bible's lens. See, because I know in the past I have held grudges from people that have hurt me, that have inflicted the brokenness of humanity on me, that have left me insecure. And all I can imagine is if God did what I asked him to forgive me as I forgave others, that there wouldn't be a lot of grace for me. If, if God truly listened to what I was asking him to do, the foolish, empty words that I was asking him to do, that there wouldn't be a lot of redemption or chance for me to come back. Because going back to what Ecclesiastes says, he says, do not be a fool when entering the Lord's house. Guard your steps. Do what the Lord has asked us to do. Come into the house and mean it. If you're really going to ask God to forgive you as you forgive others, you better make sure that your life's right. Because that's a scary thing to ask a Lord who has fire for eyes, seven stars in his right hand, your creator, the person that can rewrite your destiny. It's a scary thing to ask if you're not willing to forgive the people that do you wrong. So nine, forgive others genuinely and hastily. And number 10 is remain human. 
Asking God for forgiveness once again puts him as Lord over our lives and it keeps us human. 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is just going off. He's hitting us with another doozy. Like, again, if we are not to make empty promises to God, and if we are to seriously ask God to lead us away from temptation, doesn't that mean that we have to let go of the temptation ourselves? Because we can't be saying, God, lead me, God, lead me. But, but over here, we're holding on to what's keeping us away from him. There is this moment in the Lord's Prayer where we're saying, okay, God, if I'm going to lead, if I'm going to follow you and I'm asking you to, to remove temptation and the evil one from my life, then I better be prepared to, to not hold on like this, but to let it go. See, because God isn't going to strong arm you away from the temptation if you are still gripping on with the other hand. You cannot do the hokey pokey with this one. You cannot say, okay, God, my left foot's in and, and my right foot's going to be out, but I'm still going to follow you. It's not how it works. Because so often we find people that are saying, yes, God, I want your way. I want your blessing. God, would you help me away from the things that are evil, but they aren't even willing to try to let it go themselves. Part of being a follower of God is to say no to sin and saying yes to the ways of heaven. So once again, we have our list of points. Do not pray for publicity. Pray by yourself. Don't make empty promises to God. Pray in the spirit and in the mind. Give God lordship first when you pray. Pray with others. Set your eyes on the things of heaven. Ask for enough for your day. Forgive others genuinely and hasty. We have remained human and let go of what is keeping you stuck to be ready to follow God. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Once again, Jesus is telling us to give ownership to God, to crown him, to surrender ourselves and acknowledge that our lives are temporary, but God is forever. Once again, we are to put God back as Lord in our life. See, this is, we start with it and we're going to end with it because this is so key. We are his and he is our God. We need to be reminded of that from time to time. So number 11 is surrender yourself again. Then Jesus, he signs his prayer off with an amen. And classically, everyone says it, you know, like we, we, someone's like, hey, God, thank you for this food. Would you make this greasy cheeseburger good for my soul? And, and then we put an amen on it, and, and it is. And like the, the body's like, man, this is one good chicken salad. But, but like, but, but we didn't use like normal oil. We like, you know, we use like, we just didn't use it. It was, was going to be good for us. But it's such a Christian buzzword at times, right? Like amen, amen, and amen. We use it it's just these buzzwords and this christian slang but amen is so powerful because it means to agree with translated from the greek word amen it means let it be so this isn't just a we'll just chuck it on this is a no finish with amen say god let this be because the word amen means certainty truth it means hoped for saying amen isn't just a way to seal off our prayers and it's not just a nice way to finish it off. It's a, it's a, God, you know this thing that I just prayed? You know how I humbled myself before you again? God, would you let it be? Would you let your way be? So number 13 is put an amen on it. This prayer is powerful. And it comes alive when we pair it with the armor of God, which, which says to pray at all times in the spirit. Ephesians 6 says this in the word of the Lord. Declare scripture... My, my iPad's going funny. It's going weird. Where, where are we? We've missed it. It says, declare scripture of truth when you pray. Earnestly pray 
in your heavenly languages to please the Lord. Psalm 15, 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Look to God as your Savior, because He is. 2 Corinthians 7 says, If people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. This starts with the church. This isn't just people that don't even know that God is their Lord. This starts with us humbling ourselves, coming to Him, making Him Lord of our life, looking to the things of heaven and saying, God, would you create in me a clean heart? Would you heal our land? You see, there's this pastor named Chad Veach, who I listen to a podcast on about leadership, and, and I'm fascinated by him because he, he's just this guy that wants to learn how to lead, lead better. Um, but, but anyway, he writes this book on prayer that I, I haven't actually had the chance to, to read yet, but his title is Worried About Everything Because I Pray About Nothing. Yeah, and it's powerful because he says that prayer changes things, mainly you. See, the Lord's Prayer was never about reciting the exact words that Jesus said. It was never about religiously learning it and saying it at the start of every morning to, to keep your life right. But, and if you do, that's awesome. I'm not trying to like, you know, I'm not trying to throw you in the dirt. But keep doing that, please. But it was designed for us to change our heart posture before the Lord. It was designed to remember that God is God and that we are His. That at the end of the day, any trial, persecution, health problems, family issues, world issues, rain, those type of things, that is not a concern for him. Because he knows what we need before we ask him. It's to reposition ourselves, to put him as Lord of our life. To put the things of heaven back as our focus to follow him, to acknowledge that he is your Jireh, that he is Jehovah in your life. He provides all you need. It's about surrendering yourself and saying, okay, God, not my way, your way. And that is the better prayer. It isn't just about saying, God, would you do this? Would you do that? And because I know you can, it's about saying, okay, God, you will Lord. I am yours. I want to follow you. What do you want in this situation? It isn't just some, okay, God, cool. I, you know, I'd really like if you could heal this person because that would be really cool. And I, I guess you could because I've seen you done it, do it before. But it's saying, okay, God, you were powerful. God, you were father. You were champion. You defeated death. God, this is who you are. It's about acknowledging him and putting him in the right place of your life again. And, and, and this morning, I... I what I, what I want to do is I, I don't want to just say, if you don't know Jesus, put your hand up. And that's cool. But what I want to do this morning is, is I want us all to really think hard and say, okay, God, am I, am I ready for you to be the Lord of my life, to be my champion, to be my gyra, to be the Lord above all in my life? So this morning, I just, um, as the band comes up, I just wonder if we could all just bow our heads and close our eyes. And I, I want us all to take a moment with God and just say, God, I want to recenter my life around you. God, I want you to be Lord in my life. I don't just want to show up to, to your house and just rattle off a bunch of empty phrases, but I, 
I want to make my prayer count to you, Jesus. I want to make the time that I spend with you important. So what we're going to do this morning is, on the count of five, I, if you are saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord. I don't just want you to be just my friend or just my father. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to ask that you would raise your hand. And, and the reason I'm, I want this to be everyone with their eyes closed is so it's just you and God. Because, and we're going to celebrate afterwards as a, as a community, a, a corporately, but I want this to be about you and God, not about who's around you. Jesus, we love you.